friends. Welcome to the Modern Mamas podcast. We're here to provide a safe space for open dialogue, insights, and anecdotes about empowered pregnancy, labor, delivery, parenthood, and everything in between with zero judgment and open hearts and minds. I'm Jess, a level one CrossFit trainer and a licensed and certified athletic trainer. I have my master's in kinesiology and I'm currently studying to be a certified nutrition consultant and a birth fit coach. I'm the blogger behind Hold the Space Wellness as well as a mama to two small kiddos. And I'm Laura, a certified CrossFit trainer, certified nutrition consultant, birth fit Santa Cruz regional director, and mama to Evie Wilder. I'm also the owner of Radical Roots. Head over to MyRadicalRoots.com to find recipes, insights, and nutrition consulting. Please note that while we're here to provide advice and insights, we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes. Thanks for joining us. We're so happy you're here. Welcome to the Modern Mamas podcast. This is a very special episode, so we're not going to take too much time with our checking in, but we do want to kind of see where Laura's at because I never have anything new going on. Um, (laughs) I'll try and think of something fun. Um, But we have a special guest on today, Liz Wolf, um, and we'll kind of get into all of her genius um, in a minute here. But first, Laura, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm 15 days in. This won't air for a little while, so when this airs, I'll be even further in. But um, Evie is doing wonderful. We absolutely adore her. I feel like she's really good. Yesterday was the 4th of July, and we actually I wrapped her up, and we went to a barbecue with friends for about an hour and a half, and it was really fun to see people. And she slept the whole time and feel very lucky. She's really great, and we're just super in love. So not much new there. Um, we figured out side nursing. So now night times are a lot better. <laughs> That's been a game changer. Um, and she's very cuddly and sleeping's been actually pretty good to get like three hour stretches at night. So I cannot complain. I mean, I wouldn't anyways, but, um, I feel very, very blessed and just super in love. So still like riding that high of, uh, having that baby put on my chest <laughs> 15 days later. So yeah, things are really, really great. That's How about awesome. you? Um, nothing awesome. I mean, I take that back. We went to our friend's ranch. Yeah. Lots of awesome. (laughs) Um, nothing like super monumental, but I don't know if you know, Liz, but, um, I'm from Texas. So we went to our friend's ranch this past weekend, which was amazing. We got to unplug and, um, just be outside and our boys got to play and fish. And so did the girls. Um, I chipped my tooth randomly on a popsicle (laughs) but it's like my lower teeth and so I'm probably just gonna live with it for a while because I'm a mom and you know how that goes takes forever to like take care of yourself but that's pretty much it just it's hot af here in Texas so just trying to stay cool I'm also lucky to be in Santa Cruz where it's like it's been average 70 and just like really, really nice. Life is pretty good right now. But I must say I love the heat. So um, yeah. I wouldn't. I am excited to come visit you in Texas. Come on. Come on down. Yeah. yeah. Give me some months. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Take your time, but come whenever you're ready. Yeah. All right. Should we dive in? Let's do it. I'm really good. I'm like bursting at the seams to introduce Liz and to hear her speak instead of my own voice. So <laughs> let's, let's do that. Um, so today on the podcast, we have Liz Wolf. Uh, she's a health and wellness writer and nutritional therapy practitioner. 
with a passion for real food, uh, safe skincare, and healthy babies and families. Her work includes the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Eat the Yolks, and the Purely Primal Skincare Guide. And she co-created the online pregnancy and parenthood community, Baby Making and Beyond, set to launch in 2017, which I cannot wait for. Um, she blogs at realfoodliz.com and co-hosts the Balanced by bikes podcasts in her spare time she chases her rambunctious toddler around her hobby farm and i i I introduced her because there's so much goodness but i'm assuming that most of you already know who she is because um most of us do and she's (laughs) been in this community and sharing amazing information for a really long time now so i've been assaulting the internet for a really long time (laughs) with all my crap yeah i don't know i love your crap it's best (laughs) so glad so glad we're all just me Oh, that's much not to get like mushy right off the bat, but I, I don't credit you for the birth of my daughter, but I do give you some credit in that. Um, you've taught me a lot, like listening. I didn't have a period. This, the listeners know for five years. So you really helped me to get my life back, you know, where it needs to be in my health, where it needs to be to, um, to conceive and just to be in a really good headspace too, about the whole process. So thank you. That's incredible. Wow. Thank you for for that. (laughs) It's funny. Laura and I were talking kind of off off camera, quote unquote, before you got here. And I was like, I hope I don't start crying because Liz is just like, I don't know. You helped me in a different way. So I found you after the birth of my first kiddo, um, which was a pretty traumatic experience, like the whole thing. Um, and so just finding all of your information and and the group that you have on Facebook has been like literally life changing for me as well. So thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Um, thank you. I, that's like, I I hope I don't cry. (laughs) I, I mean, you know, it just, thank you. I, th- thank you. I don't know what else to say. That's amazing. We'll just keep doing what you're doing. You're awesome. I don't really know what I'm doing, but apparently <laughs> it's, it's working. Going well. <laughs> just keep doing it. Okay. Um, so, not forcing anything. <laughs> yeah. And so we're going to probably, I mean, there are about a million things we could talk to Liz about today, but you know, hopefully we'll have you back on many more times to tackle different topics as long as you're willing. Um, but today we're going to be focused on a couple things. So number one, I think we talked about expectations versus reality in motherhood, um, which is huge. Um, really excited to see your take on some of that information. And then two, we're going to dive into aware parenting. So basically what it is, how you can practice it, um, and specifically how it can grow your relationship with your child, Um, and help you get some sleep without having to resort to, you know, quote unquote, traditional cried out methods, which I'm super interested to hear about. Um, just based on my own experience, I want to see what the, the the gentler alternatives can be. So yeah, yeah, yeah. this will be fun. Awesome. Okay. So we're going to dive in, but first, um, I don't know if you looked at the icebreaker questions. We don't have to ask all of them, (laughs) but I'm, I'm really actually interested to know what your answers are. Uh, but if you could eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? So this is like, I looked through the entire list of questions and all the questions we got on Instagram, which were really, really great, amazing, beautiful questions. I'm so excited to talk about them, but this, like these icebreakers probably made me more nervous than any of the other (laughs) questions. So the thing, okay. One thing for the rest of your life, I was like, am I answering this as a nutritional therapy practitioner or as like a human with taste buds? I say human with taste buds. Like it doesn't have to be healthy. If it's something that it's like literally like, I love this food. I want Uh, it. 
I'm just kidding. Those are disgusting. <laughs> What'd you say? Ho-hos? <laughs> yeah. Does that even, is that a thing anymore? It's, well, it's not food, but <laughs> I think but it is a thing. I think be. it is. Yeah. I can... was thinking the other day about zebra cakes. Those are like still a thing. Oh, yeah. I used to love those. I, okay. So I, I feel like people know I'm on a nachos kick these days. I just like really like nachos. And I know that's not one food. It's a combination of foods. No, it counts. It can you can be a meal. make it pretty healthy or at least not unhealthy, you know? Yeah, I, I ate those a lot during my pregnancy. They were like, I had so many aversions and I couldn't eat a lot and like all kinds of stuff. And, um, but nachos were good is it, <laughs> because they are good. Yeah. For you, is it the crunch? Is it the cheese? Is it like a combination of all those things or what, what is it? I'm guessing it's like the neurobiological rewards of having all of those things together, like <laughs> carbs, fat, cheesy cheese, all the you stuff. know, all of it. It's yeah. just, yeah, mm-hmm. it's good. And now that we have Jackson's Honest Chips and we can have some, you know, organic non-GMO corn cooked in coconut oil, I'm like, bring on the nachos, man. That's right. Yeah. Some of those are even sprouted, right? Isn't one of the, a couple of them, like the red or blue sprouted? Yeah, I just tried the red ones. They're pretty good. So good. Now yeah. I want nachos, and it's 10 a.m. here. <laughs> you <can do> that. <laughs> you can, that's fine. I, yeah, because I'm starving all the time now. <laughs> totally normal. Okay, good. I love that, that answer. Um, definitely means we could be friends. So um, favorite book of all time? Because I know, oh, you're, so I know you're a reader. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I was, and then I had a kid. Um, so now I'm more of like a zone out in front of reality <laughs> TV or, which is not good, but I am trying to read more, but it's so funny. Cause this stuff, I said, I wasn't going to ha- have long answers to questions, but I'm going to anyway. Um, I feel like you guys know, probably know me well enough mm-hmm. to know that's going to happen, but it's also like the stage of life you're in. Like right now I'm, I'm just finishing up the Neapolitan novels. There's four of them and they are amazing, but they're so joyless. Like, I can't stop reading them, but there's no joy in them. It's about this female friendship from, like, childhood through adulthood in um, Naples in Italy. It's translated from Italian. And it is so good. But I already have, like, been dealing with some kind of heavy stuff that I'm coming out of postpartum, which I say postpartum. My kid is two, like, 26 months now. But there's so little joy in them that sometimes it really stresses me out to read them. So... I feel like 10 years from now, I will say, wow, favorite series of all time, Neapolitan novels. But right now I'm a little bit stressed out. <laughs> are those young adult or are they like adult? Fiction? No, they are like, they're like, like Pulitzer, well not Pulitzer, but you know, they're like award winning, yeah. like fiction. I mean, that I'm sounds so, me too. I'm definitely looking into it for sure. But yeah, but you're I think a more sensitive thing because we are watching Orange is the New Black, like postpartum in the. I had to leave the room multiple times. Oh my like, gosh. It's too, it's too much for me right that's now. How, that's how I felt about, we started watching, um, oh, ne- what is this Netflix series? I, the book. <sighs> There's Handmaid's Tale. Oh, what? No. Handmaid's Tale? Yes, Handmaid's Tale, which is about this oh, boy, like, I heard about that one. Me too. dystopian future where this religious oligarchy comes to power and the women are suppressed and they can't talk to each other. It's just, the series is like so disturbing that as much as I love it and I want to watch it and it's incredibly well done, it's like, I can't, I have to, I, I can watch like half an episode at a time and I have to just quit and, you know, watch SpongeBob That's for a on minute. Netflix? Seriously. I think so. I think it's Netflix. Oh yeah, I think it is. I, yeah. I, not that I need another 
show to add to the queue, but I would probably yeah. watch that. <laughs> we kind of do. I don't, we just finished Orange is the New Black and now we're watching The Office. <laughs> House of Cards. House that of one cards. is another completely joyless show mm-hmm. that I can't stop watching. It's, it's the worst. Yeah. It's terrible. But it's awesome. But it's so good. Have and you Game watched of, um, Game of Thrones yeah. soon? Oh my gosh. Have you watched Peaky Blinders? Any of you? No. When, oh my God. It's so good. It is the okay. best. If you like historical like fiction. I do. It's amazing. It's, okay. Right. There's, like, there's three seasons yeah. on Netflix. So that's what we watched when Camille was born for okay. like weeks. Um, we're getting like, we could probably talk about that for just one episode. Yeah, easily. Um, okay. And then last one, are you a dog or a cat person? hundred percent dogs. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't hate cats. I think they're interesting and fun, but totally dogs. Same. Laura. Oh, dogs. <laughs> I want to. Luna. <laughs> She's in my face right now. giving me the kisses. Um, she approves. <laughs> good, good. Awesome. Okay, cool. Now that we know pretty much all that we need to know about you, we can dive into <laughs> the important things. The important things. Um, Laura, do you want to take it the first part? Yeah, let's do that. So we're going to start by talking about expectations versus reality. Um, so I guess we can just on a broad sense, Liz, what does that mean to you in, in regards to motherhood and parenting? So we can get more specific if you don't, but you know, there we go. Let's just go broad first. (laughs) I'll kind of, I'll keep this one broad. You know, those memes, I don't know if they're memes. They say like, I was the best parent I knew until I had kids, (laughs) which is like so true. It's just like parenthood. You just can't prepare for it. You can't outline what it's going to look like. You try to, like, we feel like we're controlling what we can control when we try and prepare for it and read books and all that stuff. But like, it hits you emotionally and physically and intellectually in ways that are just impossible to fully understand until you become a parent. And that doesn't mean it's always bad. Some people grapple with, you know, things and some people it's elegant and you make it look easy, but I don't think that there is a single person out there like for whom the entire journey coincided exactly with what they would have thought prior to having a kid, which is fine. That's how we grow. And that's why parenthood is so amazing and painful at the same time, but in good ways and exquisite ways. But yeah, it's just that thing where you're like, man, I knew exactly how to parent a child until I had one. Totally. I agree. And then, I mean, there's all those things that I would see, like, not that we do this on a regular basis, but like, I'm never going to let my child watch an iPad. Like, that's just the worst thing I could possibly imagine before I had kids or like, they're never going to argue with me in public or whatever. But the other part of that is that you don't really take into consideration is this is like a whole other human being with their own Mm -hmm. like personalities, likes, dislikes, and you cannot control everything about them. I mean, I would arguably say you can control very little about them. I mean, that's the other side of it, right? hundred percent. And it's like, we, we, I think maybe we think, we think without thinking, this is just kind of subconsciously, we're thinking that we are going to pour, like, we're going to establish the child's personality, but they do, they come with their own personalities. They, they can't tell us what those personalities are necessarily what their wants are, but yeah, it's a hundred percent. Like we, we're, we're not cultivating any kind of personality or anything like that in these babies, they come equipped with it. And we have to learn how to navigate that and what we can teach them and what they can teach us. Absolutely. And that's why I'm excited to hear a little bit later on more about the aware parenting stuff. It's because to me, that seems like, yes, they come with a personality. They come with all of these things that are like hardwired, but how can you as a parent 
I guess, support that and kind of guide Mm -hmm. them because they're all different. And I, you guys both have one, I have two now and it's, it's so crazy and true what people say. It's like, no matter what your experience with the first one, it can be completely different with the second one because they're different people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that was going into my second pregnancy. I was super nervous and scared because my little one, my older one is, um, pretty tough kid. And he's been like that since the day he was born. I'm thinking throughout my whole pregnancy, like the second one, this is going to be the same. It's going to be just as hard. Like the second one's not going to sleep. The second one's going to cry a lot, colic, all this stuff. Um, and it just wasn't true, like from the get go. And so I wasted all that precious time Mm. just worrying about some, yeah. And energy worrying about something that I literally had no control over. But now you learn that lesson, right? Mm -hmm. Like just because you are convinced something bad's going to happen or that, you know, your kids are programmed a certain way, you learned that that's not true, Mm -hmm. which is terrifying and also really a relief at the same time. It is. It really, really is. It's yeah. But that's kind of like motherhood in a nutshell. It's like terrifying and (laughs) amazing at the same time. Yes. Have you guys seen the old movie Parenthood with Steve Martin? Mm Mm-hmm. And I love that movie because I adore Steve Martin. I love all the the actors in that movie. It's like a young Joaquin Phoenix before he went super weird uh, and started funding vegan propaganda. (laughs) I know, I saw that. Oh my gosh, it's so bad. But at the very end, they're on this roller coaster, I think, or something like that. And it really is this like fear and exhilaration all at the same time. And you just, it's so cliche, but it's so true. Totally. Absolutely. Laura, do you feel that way already? Um, yeah, well, um, I don't know yet. She, I mean, it's so hard at, at this, she's 15 days old. It's so hard to know. I had a lot of, expe- it's funny cause our expectations were like, we're going to have her in like the swivel sleeper bassinet next to my bed. Right. And, um, cause Rusty and I, my husband, we really want like our bed for us. And yeah, right. Like I, I couldn't, there's no way. <laughs> and then we were like, I we got this little ask her and Emma thing, which is great to set her in on occasion. But like we tried, I wanted to, we were going to have her sleep between us. And then it was like, no way I need her touching my body yeah, yeah. <laughs> all night long. Like I, I, you know, and so you have some expectations for what you think is going to work. And, and it's not even just her being fussy. It's me needing. So it's also expectations of myself. Um, and I guess I, I didn't know what to expect as a mom. And I didn't, I don't think you can uh, like understand the love that you're going to have for the kid or like how the connection is going to be or, or any of it. You just, you don't know. Um, and so now we're kind of talking about expectations. Like my husband really wants her to surf and we expect, we hope that she's going to be like outdoorsy and want to go on adventures with us and hike and backpack. And then we're like, what if she just wants to wear tutus and <laughs> we would not know what to do. So we're kind of in this place now where we're really like, we'll say something like she's going to be a little grum. We'll go watch the surfers at Steam and then we're going to be a little ground and I'm like, uh, hold on if she wants to be, you know, it's one of those yeah, things yeah. where it's like trying not to put expectations of what we see her being as she grows and letting her just be exactly who she wants to be. Um, and then trying, you know, people are always like, she's so cute or she's so pretty or she's beautiful or she's so sweet. And then also those types of things, like yeah. trying not to use words like that, that describe the way she looks. And, um, so like all of that is just, especially with a girl, I find it to be very, um, I feel like I've got a great opportunity and responsibility, but then it's also like a struggle because of just the way society is in terms of expectations of little girls. Yeah. So that's a thing. (laughs) That is definitely a thing. But really like the fact that you're even thinking about that stuff, 99% of the population does not 90. I, I think about this all the time. There are people who are literally breeding their children to be like little mini ideologists based on, you know, whatever ideology they were raised with and that type of thing. And boys do this and girls do this. And 
God is this and all that stuff. And that's pretty Uh, heavy, but just the fact (laughs) that you're willing to sit back and observe and like not put any of the, or be conscious of those things is, Mm -hmm. is huge. That's, I mean, that's going to change the world. Yeah. That's the hope, right? Cause that's, yeah. I feel like if, if we're ever unsettled with the way things are in society or politically or whatever, like the way that we can really make an impact, I think is by raising kids who will, they're, the world belongs to them right now. And yeah. so we, if we can help to raise them to like follow what they believe and be themselves and all that, then I think we'll, we'll be all right. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm sure we could talk about just that again, so many of this stuff is such, such good information. We could probably talk forever about it, but narrowing it down. So like, I know I'll just talk about my personal experience. Cause I don't want to like project anything on anybody else, but like what happens, and this is something I'm really curious about. Um, what happens when you're expected or the birth experience that you planned you know, doesn't match up to reality. Um, and again, this was my experience personally, and I'm not asking you what specifically tell me what happens, Liz, tell me the answer, but you know, in your experience or your, the knowledge that you have, how can we help kind of reconcile that? Cause for me, it was like, I'm going to do X, Y, Z through my pregnancy. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to do spinning babies. I'm going to do my chiropractic appointments and be exercise, uh, you know, be move, have movement and all this good stuff. Um, and then my birth is going to go this way. And then when it doesn't, because again, there's two of you working together and the baby already has specific preferences for side or, you know, the way that they're going to be born. Um, you know, how do you help, what would be your suggestion to somebody who's kind of struggling with that experience? Well, for a long time, I had no idea how to answer to that question because I was grappling with that for probably two years because you just see, you know, a lot of the paleo people I follow are, you know, natural birth warriors and, you know, they've had home births and, you know, everything went according to plan. And I would see that in my feed and just be like, yeah, of course I'm doing all the right things. That's going to be my experience. I planned this. I'm doing everything to prepare for it. I've done everything right. Quote unquote. And I am going to have a birth that is symbolic of my transition into motherhood. I'm going to cross through this, you know, ring of fire, whatever you want to call it. And I'm going to emerge like a mother. And that didn't happen for me. And it was completely, completely out of my control. I mean, there was literally nothing I could have done differently. And for two years, I was running it through my mind over and over again. I couldn't even think about it without crying. And that's not me. I'm somebody that can suppress my tears to, you know, the end of time, I will not cry because I, for whatever reason, and I think we'll talk about this more later, I wasn't comfortable with it, but I feel like, you know, we talk about how we're exposed to all these unrealistic expectations of how women should look and, you know, these things that we get from observing social media. And I don't know that it's a direct parallel, but I definitely was beating myself up about my birth in the same way I used to beat myself up about not looking like somebody I saw on social media. So there's all of these just swirling emotions. And it's so hard, especially when your colleagues are having that quote, perfect experience, that perfect transition into motherhood. And, you know, I didn't get that. And the easiest thing for me to say about to folks 
you know, my big thing I used to harp on is give yourself grace. And I still believe that give yourself time to find a way to feel those feelings and move through them. For me, aware parenting, like reparenting myself was a huge tool for that. But I also think there's a point at which you have to recognize when giving yourself grace is turning into allowing yourself to wallow in grief. And that's the point at which I was like, okay, the only way I'm going to be able to a bring this to the light um, more than it is currently. There are tons of brave people talking about their birth experiences and I haven't gotten there yet, but just talking about the hard stuff that sucks and my disappointment and my struggles. And like the only way I was going to change or at least open up the narrative so people wouldn't feel the type of shame that I felt for not having the perfect birth was to talk about it and go to therapy. So therapy is for sure the most powerful tool in my life right now. It's been the um, catalyst for probably the most personal growth in the shortest period of time that um, I, I never could have expected it. I avoided therapy. I thought people that were broken went to therapy and I didn't want to admit I was broken. Um, but but going to therapy and getting some feedback on my thought patterns has been incredibly helpful. And now I've gone off on a total tangent, but no, that's is, that what was in my head. Exactly. <laughs> this is great. Mm-hmm. Go to therapy. Everybody go to therapy. Having <laughs> I a started, friend is I not the going, same. Yeah. I started going like two plus years before she was conceived. Oh, and I amazing. think that that was, and my therapist was like focused on mind, mindfulness and I was dealing with some chronic pain. And then, um, I started going to therapy because I just kind of hopeless at that point. And, uh, mm-hmm. through therapy pain went away and I also got my period back. And I, I think that nutrition played a huge role, but I really think the therapy actually helped to bring my cycle back because my headspace now was in a place where my body was ready to conceive. Um, so I, I cannot, speak highly enough about getting a good therapist and well, talking to somebody. Yeah. And just to kind of speak to that, you're Dr. Jolene Bright. And I was listening to the second, um, edition on balanced bites podcast. And yeah. she was talking, like, it literally made me start crying. Cause I was like, Oh my God. But she was saying like, <laughs> it, woo, hi Evie. <laughs> um, she was saying the way you talk to yourself spikes your cortisol levels more than like like, you know, other things that we think of. So like speaking to yourself as if you would speak to like your own child, like, would you ever say the terrible things that, you know, you say to yourself in your mind to to somebody else, a friend going through the same Mm -hmm. thing or whatever. And that kind of resonated with me a lot because again, I don't know your specific birth experience, but mine, um, was not, uh, what I was not what I wanted, um, Mm -hmm. followed by like a NICU stay and, bad beginning to breastfeeding and, um, physically and mentally me struggling a lot postpartum. And so I, like you said, feeling guilt, I felt so guilty and I told everybody, you know, I'm going to do natural birth and it's going to be great. And, um, Mm -hmm. I was like ashamed afterwards because everyone was telling me throughout, like, you're crazy. It's not going to work. Like she'd go to the hospital, get an epidural. And luckily I still had a vaginal birth. Um, I don't know, luckily, or I don't mean to say luckily because it, anyways, we can dive you into that. You had that experience. I had that, that experience. what you wanted. Yes. Yeah. But it, it very easily could have been a cesarean section. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the way I came out on the other side of the vaginal birth, um, with physical trauma, um, to myself, you know, 
I still don't know if it was worth it. But anyway, it's going off on a tangent. Um, the guilt and shame associated with that afterwards was really hard to work through, um, especially yeah. as a like control freak, a type A. Um, I think motherhood and delivery is probably the biggest test to people yeah. like myself. Well, and I think some people, do, you know, like that's not to say that every mother that doesn't have this big test, every mother, you know, if you have a perfect easy birth and you're so happy with it and it's empowering and you're whatever, that's not to say that those folks haven't gone through the fire in other parts of their life. Mm -hmm. But for some of us, that is our test. Like this is our moment where we figure out like how to realize that we're enough and how to grapple with these lessons that we have to learn at some point. And it's, it is just, it's so, so hard. And I, gosh, I was thinking of one of the tools that I've gotten from therapy that's been really good. And now I can't remember what it was. I'm sure it will come up later, but it's just one of those things where you, I, oh, I've learned through therapy that I'm a perfectionist and I didn't even know that I was. I always knew that like, sometimes if I couldn't do something on the first try, I wouldn't want to try at all. I always wanted to be good at stuff. I never want people to know that I'm struggling, things like that. But I always thought perfectionists had like perfect Pinterest worthy lives. <laughs> and I don't have that. I have a very messy, ugly life in a good way. But, but realizing, wow, I'm a perfectionist. And the fact that my birth was not perfect, that I didn't give birth at home in a tub full of water, you know, like I wanted to, you know, just rocking my labor and having this experience that was such a wound to my perfectionism that it's almost been more of a struggle to come back maybe from that. I, I think about that a lot. Is it the guilt and shame? Is it the sadness over my birth? Or is it the fact that I didn't, that there was a crack in this facade of perfectionism that I had not even knowingly like built around me? So there's, I mean, there's no end to the things that we can try and figure out about ourselves as a result of our childbirth experiences. That's crazy. It's so, it's so deep and emotional. Um, yeah. not just for yourself as, as a mother and, and a woman moving forward, but you could talk about how your birth experience affects your children. Um, mm -hmm. you know, all, all of that stuff. So that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> it's the fear, right? Yeah. It's like, there's so much fear, like fear of failure, fear that your sadness is going to mess up how you parent fear that you've wounded your kids in some way. Just there's so much fear and that's a very non-specific emotion and really like tacking that down and figuring out where it comes from in whatever moment you're in and how to deal with it is like the challenge of a lifetime. Right. Absolutely. And it's like, it's weird how once you have children on the outside, I mean, even when they're in your belly too, how that fear is like so closely interwoven with this like intense love. Like it's almost yeah. like one in the same, like you can't have one without the other because once you start to feel that love, it's like, what if something happens and yes, happens and it's taken away or, you know, it's just, Oh, that is so Brene Brown. Have you read <laughs> Brene Brown? <laughs> no, I haven't. Oh my gosh. She's like, she speaks to my soul, which is crazy. Um, one of the things that she said was the most common, like when you ask people about what makes them happy, they end up telling you what makes them sad. Like, because you have this amazing thing and all you can think about is how the many different ways you can lose it or the many different ways you can screw it up. And it's this like, I don't know if that's a paradox or what. I wish I had the quote more in my head because it was yeah. really good. But why do we go there in our minds to that fearful place? And by the way, this isn't everybody. This is like some of us struggle in this way. If you're listening and you don't struggle in this way, there's nothing wrong with you. Like. Uh -huh. 
Absolutely. And we talk about that all the time on previous episodes. Like we come in on here, we're, we're sharing personal, I mean, this is all personal experience and insight. So you can take with it what you will. If it resonates with you, then that means something. If it doesn't, that's totally fine. You never know when, if, or when you may cross that bridge in the future. So, um, or when someone you love maybe crosses that bridge mm -hmm. and you can better support them. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Let's move along. So we kind of, um, touched on the postpartum aspect of that. I mean, I don't know if you have any more to add to that specifically dealing with like, you know, postpartum anxiety or postpartum depression. Um, again, not like saying that's what you went through or anything. Um, but I know for a lot of people that happens for a variety of reasons that sometimes mm -hmm. it's truly hormonal, which we had, um, I don't know if you listened, but Megan Blacksmith, on, um, she's ginger nutrition. So I know she's worked with a couple people in the paleo world. Um, mm -hmm. just talking about how hor like hormonal gut health inflammation, all this stuff can kind of come together to create the perfect storm, um, postpartum. So some of that stuff just happens, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on postpartum expectations? Not really. I mean, you, you really kind well, of touched no. on it. No, I think this is a good, this is kind of a separate question. I think it's right I think it's good to kind of tease this apart because so really, really recently after like two years of struggle, like I said, I went to therapy, like I've started implementing all these things and gotten exponentially better. But I had a follow-up with just a general practitioner doctor who saw me for 10 minutes. I was really stressed out. I really felt like they were judging me from the moment they walked in the door. I started crying. And because it was like this appointment related to like follow up and immediately I had a prescription for Zoloft, Xanax and a postpartum anxiety diagnosis, which is fine. Like it, it's, there's nothing, you know, I don't want to try and I don't want to tear that down or, you know, we, I don't even think we need to necessarily get into that. But to me, it was shocking that I knew that I was suffering from a very deep anxiety that was affecting me physically. But I was able to find the tools to get better. You know, we know all this stuff about gut health, about, um, you know, meditation and which stressors are adaptive and which will break you down. I know all of these things and implementing those tools made me get a lot better, but I was, so for me, I, I, I personally don't feel right about the medication. These are prescriptions that I chose not to fill. And part of that is because I have the confidence that I'm, I'm getting better using a different suite of tools. But part of it is also I don't feel comfortable with the diagnosis that was given to me at the first meeting within 10 minutes. So I don't think people necessarily need to deeply identify with their diagnoses unless getting that diagnosis is what sets you on the path to wellness. Um, there's a lot there, and I don't know that we really have time to unpack all of it, but just to kind of share a little bit from my experience, in my soul, I knew that what I was dealing with did not come down to a chemical imbalance for me, the type of chemical imbalance that they give you Zoloft for. There are many different ways to come to that point where you're like, something is wrong and I need help. I have anxiety related to being postpartum or depression related to being postpartum. Sometimes medication is the road and sometimes it is not. And that makes it a little bit harder, right? That we can't, there's not a one size fits all solution. But I think that in some ways it's not always even about 
gut health. It's not always about hormonal imbalance. Some of it is, but it's not like, wow, you didn't eat your placenta hard enough. You know, like there's, there's all of these inputs that we know are important to bring us to full health. Well, I was doing all of those things. And I think that there is a fact that we have to honor that our world doesn't match up with the circumstances that we need like body and soul to thrive. We know that like our diet is not lined up with what, you know, the standard American diet isn't lined up with what we need to thrive. But like whether we're talking nutritionally or we're talking community wise, how we live, whatever, like it should be expected that some of us just can't adjust, that some of us have to go through that period of like, what do I need to do to find myself again? Um, and, you know, if a prescription is the right solution for you, wonderful, go for it. But I also feel really confident in saying it's not the right solution for me, that it's not related to, you know, a deficiency of SSRIs. Like, that's not my problem. And that's not to say it's not a big deal and shouldn't be treated like a big deal, but we certainly shouldn't feel like we're defective for experiencing these things. I mean, it's, I don't know, I feel like Dr. Kelly Brogan talks a lot about this type of stuff, that our pain and these deep, difficult feelings are, there are companions, like there are friends, they, they, there's things that we can honor and not be so afraid of that the fear of those feelings makes our circumstances even worse. So we need strategies, we need help, we need community, we need therapy. Some of us need medication, but we also need to know that the more we fear these feelings and feel desperate to not have them, the more intense they're going to get. Um, and I think honoring them and acknowledging how hard it is and gifting yourself the tools to like free yourself of them without losing yourself is really what has been the most effective for me. Did that make any sense? Oh my gosh, that was like... Beautiful. It was powerful. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. It was, I was wonderful. sweating a little bit. I like, I feel like I just, you know, got something out. <laughs> you yeah. You got some emotional release from that. <laughs> yes, I did. It was wonderful. No, I mean, exactly everything that you said was just beautiful and resonated. And I'm sure it will resonate with a lot of people too. But I mean, even just to tie it back into like motherhood, it's like, you know, I tell my son, when he's, or I try to do this, when he's upset or angry or feeling a feeling, like, it's okay. Like, you can feel the feeling, like, rage it out, like, cry. I try not to tell him, you know, stop crying, like, mm -hmm. stop feeling that way. Because, I mean, really, that's what you're saying that you're doing to yourself. You're extending that same grace that you would extend to your daughter yeah. um, to yourself. And that, yeah, when we try and, like, push those feelings down and stuff from inside or, you know, not saying again, some people do need medication to kind of get through mm -hmm. that, but maybe use medication as a band aid and not address the underlying reasons why you're feeling that way. Um, mm -hmm. I think that can be problematic. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, medication is, is good when it's used appropriately, but let's, again, like you said, therapy, like let's talk about it. Let's figure out yeah. why. Um, that's kind of what I took from your, your story too, but I don't know. Lori. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. And I'm not opposed to medication. Mm -hmm. I'm really, really not, but I have, I've seen myself improve exponentially just with therapy, a focus on exercise, a focus on bringing more joy into my life. And I want to see where that goes. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times folks are kind of sold this idea that medication is their only option, even though they're not necessarily comfortable with that yet. They still don't truly fully understand or believe the power of therapy, exercise, joy, 
things like that. And if that's you, if you're hearing that and you're like, I just think that there are things I need to try first before I go there, I want people to know, like, it's not cliche. The power of movement, joy, and therapy is absolutely incredible. And nourishing food too. I think that's mm-hmm. been huge for me postpartum. Like immediately started taking um, liver, desiccated liver and st- stuck with my prenatal and, and fish oil and like all this stuff I think really has played a big role and then feeling supported and going out yeah. for walks as soon as I felt ready to do that and having my husband here and supportive. Like there's so much like finding your tribe, all that stuff is super important to, um, for headspace. And I think yeah. if we take medication, we won't really feel the need to fix other quote unquote fix other areas of our life because we have this bandaid. Whereas if you don't have the medication, then you're more likely maybe more apt to seek out other forms of, um, fixing or getting to the root of why you feel a certain way. So, and I uh, wish doctors would, would say something like that. Like, yeah, like this, here's this medication, you need this, but this isn't, don't take this home and feel like, okay, well, I guess this is all I need to do. Right. There's, there's always, and that's, we'll talk about aware parenting in a minute, but part of my, one of my favorite things about aware parenting is that's this multi-pronged approach that takes into account science from so many different disciplines, all bringing it together to raise like happy, like balanced, wonderful, amazing children. And it's the same with like, you know, postpartum issues. Like you tackle it from multiple angles. You, that's really the way to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, on that note, this is not entirely related, but kind of just came to mind is like when I do get to see, you know, the back of your daughter's head and hear the conversation <laughs> you guys are having, it's so powerful to me to hear the way that she speaks and to hear how kind of like content she is and happy she is and even confident in the way that she does express herself at what, two years old. Um, so that like prefacing this discussion on aware parenting with that, it's clearly working because she just seems like a really phenomenal um, little human. So I'm, I'm excited to dive in and hear more about your thoughts on aware parenting and how it's worked for you and just, um, all of your insight. Well, thank you for that. I, she's amazing. I seems like has her moments, but but she's (laughs) great. So I'm, I'm eternally grateful for aware parenting. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Lord, did you want to ask about, I mean, did you want to talk about, you know, expectations of your child? I know that was in I think we kind of touched on that yeah. already, just like on, her, you know, what we see. And so I think that it's something that we'll come to better understand as we raise her. And then also through this discussion of aware parenting, um, can hear her grunting right now. She, but, um, yeah, I think we touched on it. So I'm, I'm excited to dive in deeper and just to the whole aware parenting topic now. Yeah. So tell us more about it. So I, I did a little digging, but I know a lot of the listeners are super excited to hear exactly what it is, you know, just your general take on it. I know we have some questions about it too, but I'm just going to let you talk about it. I mean, just okay. free reign, and then we'll we'll ask if we need to. I can do that. Well, okay. so I'm not an aware parenting expert or practitioner. There are those out there, and one of them that I connected with, Eliza Parker from ConsciousBaby.com, has been just an amazing force in our lives. Um, but I want people to know, like, I'm not an expert. I'm not a practitioner. I've read the books. Like, it has so transformed my life that I like to talk about it. But if it resonates, like, I definitely encourage anyone listening, like, don't come to me to ask questions. Like, you totally can, and I'll do my best. But I'm not the expert. Like, don't take my words as gospel. This is how we've applied it in our lives and how it's helped. I'm sure it's not perfect, but if it does resonate, like set out on your own journey of discovery, like get the books. The the weird thing is it's not mainstream at all. 
And I tend to think it's because maybe it doesn't fit into a soundbite. It's not like, for example, on the baby sleep issue, it's not like, you know, nurse, nurse, nurse all night long. And if that's the only way they can sleep, if they're attached to your nipple, just do it, get through it. It'll be fine. Like, you know, attachment parenting, rah, rah, versus like babies need sleep, put them in the room and let them cry. You know, there's a component to it. That's about parent self-care to me. It was like, Oh, you know, the baby, yes, you, you, your baby is, you want to do the best that you possibly can when it comes to parenting. But if you don't take care of yourself, then how can you possibly take good care of another human who's looking to you as an example of, of what it's like to be content and happy and all those things. So you gave me like, I'm, I'm like breaking out of like waves of chills from (laughs) you saying that. And it's not even like eat well, sleep, you know, it's not that kind of self-care. It's like, let's dig into the really deep, like stuck emotional patterns that we as parents have, because like after you become a mom in no time in your life, do you need more nurturing as a human being besides maybe when you're a newborn than when you become a mom. And yet all of your energy has to go to taking care of this little tiny baby. So it's like, it's so hard, but Aware parenting has transformed like how I deal with myself. It's it's shown me patterns I had that I had no idea I had. It has challenged really deeply held beliefs um, that I had. And the cool thing is, it's like all based around really amazing, like solid science. Um, so it's okay. So backing up, it's basically aware parenting is a philosophy. It was founded by Aletha Salter, who is a developmental psychologist and PhD. She's a genius, but she's also not like, she's not like a, Hey, I'm a genius. And look at my amazing YouTube channel. She's like this woman doing the work. And there are a couple of practitioners who are, um, you know, working to spread the word around the world. But to my knowledge, there's only a few that are like really active online. So me being the master Googler that I am, which is like a toxic pit you fall into, like when you're night nursing, you're like, oh my gosh, what is this? Is this normal? Like thumbs and the iPhone. And we had gotten, I'll kind of share how I discovered it first. Is that okay? Okay. So my little one was probably eight months old. And at about that time, I was eight months into I know they say not sleeping is normal, but I was eight months into not sleeping ever. Um, My kid literally could not fall asleep without a boob in her mouth. So our nights were basically like, I would nurse her to sleep. It would progressively take longer. It used to take 15 minutes and she would go down. She'd kind of, you know, break her latch and go to sleep. And, you know, every three hours we'd wake up and then, Slowly over time, it was, I had to spend an hour and 30 minutes nursing her to sleep. I had to wake up every 15 to 20 minutes to nurse her back to sleep. And it got to the point where I was like, my breast cannot possibly be my only tool for enabling her to find the peace that is required to fall asleep and stay asleep. Um, I think a lot of times the sleeping, nursing, crying thing is like, it's what really makes moms like consider cry it out, even though they don't want to. And frankly, I'm not judging anybody that does cry it out. We have some evidence that it's probably not the most ideal approach, but the militant, like you're abusing your child if you let them cry alone, it, I, cry, letting a child cry alone, that is going to be a stressor. 
letting them cry alone before they're old enough to understand that you will always come back for them and you'll always love them. That's probably not ideal. But when you haven't slept in eight months and your baby is suffering because she can't find sleep because she's anguished, my boob falls out of her mouth, she starts crying. The only way to get her to stop crying is to latch her on again. I can't sleep like that for the foreseeable future. Like it was just this entanglement, and you can probably still tell it's still in knots in my mind this entanglement between crying and thinking that her crying was bad that I was a bad parent or that I was allowing her to suffer like irreversible damage by crying. Um, and the fact that like I was getting sore and my body was falling apart from laying in one position on my side, like side lying nursing for literally eight hours straight just to try and get some sleep. Like it just wasn't right. And what I found on the attachment parenting boards, like as a lurker was basically like attachment parent harder, like nurse harder, nurse longer, it'll be over soon. But when you're in it, you just can't, you're, you're falling apart. And I was like, I know this isn't the way I know it's not. There are deeper emotions here that I'm struggling with that my eight month old baby is struggling with. And we have to find a way to bring balance into our lives It wasn't even about sleep or crying or nursing. It was about balance and we were not balanced. And I felt like if we brought balance back to the equation in whatever compassionate way that we would find sleep and we would find peace. And that was the whole point. So you can imagine what my Google searches looked like. (laughs) Um, I have no idea what I searched for, but I stumbled across aware parenting and I started reading and it was like, holy moly, of course this makes so much sense. And it was probably the most cross-disciplinary approach I've ever found, which I love. You know, I think, you know, as paleo real food type people, sometimes we get stuck in this evolutionary approach and we don't take into account context. We don't take into account, you know, adaptations, things like that. And so this approach, it draws on attachment theory. It is, it is attachment parenting. Aletha Salter is 100% attachment parenting like oriented. She's all about bed sharing, breastfeeding, fostering that bond. It's, it's about attachment theory, psychology, neurobiology of stress and trauma. Um, and we know stress comes in many forms and so does trauma evolutionary science, child development, cultural stuff. And it uses all of these touch points to really see children and adults as these whole yet complex self-healing beings that just need to be heard and nurtured in like a really beautiful way. And I think the most important thing is that it tends to take, like this is where people get hung up. It tends to take a bit of a different approach to understanding and kind of shepherding our children and nurturing them through their strong emotions and stress rather than trying to just stop those emotions. And like I said, this isn't a soundbite approach. It's a beautiful one, but it does take a book to understand it. Cause like, you know, a 15 day old baby is going to require a different aware an adjusted aware parenting approach versus an eight month old who has a lot of really strong patterning that was entirely based on my own fear of her emotions and feeling like I had no tools other than my breast to help her find peace. So I don't know if I just explained what aware parenting is, but I, I think the context of how I, that. okay, yeah. good. Good, good. That's amazing. And it wasn't an immediate process. It wasn't yeah. like I put her in her room and aware parented her for an hour and it was all better. <laughs> it was like, lot. yeah, that's not how it works. It took, It took a long time, but when you're not wanting to, when you're not so desperate that you're just like, I don't know what to do. We have to sleep. 
she's going to have to cry until she figures it out because I don't know what tools I can use here. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's that perfect approach for people who are like, okay, I tried the no cry sleep solution. I tried, you know, all of these different, like quote, out of the box attachment message board, parenting friendly approaches, and they didn't work. There has to be something more. Um, and I will implement this in a stepwise fashion <laughs> and we'll see slow improvements. And that's how it was for us. And that's, I mean, that's how you develop a lifestyle, right? Right. That's amazing. I, everything you're saying is just like taking me right back. And I don't mean to interrupt, yeah. but it's like taking me back to my first experience. And you were saying, you know, my son did not sleep. He it's just, it's like bringing back like all these like yeah. weird emotions in my chest. But, um, around eight months, I was literally a zombie. I was already back to work. I was, um, oh, that's a whole nother topic. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, I was back to work at three months postpartum and I was not sleeping. I, I felt angry towards my kid, um, mm-hmm. which is like, not how I, not how you envision the, oh, sweet girl. Um, I, I knew something had to happen when I was like, I felt that like just anger and frustration toward this baby who is just helpless. You know, he doesn't know what to do. Like I need to help him. Like I need to somehow help him and then, and that help myself. Um, and so we, it wasn't aware parenting, but we connected. It just was by the grace of higher power. I swear I won this like sleep training package. And at first I was like, sleep training, I'm not going to do that. I don't believe in cry it out. And it, what it came to, to be was this was, um, sleep, sleep consultants. They're trained by this entity called the international maternity and parenting Institute. So they're holistic sleep consultants, which I'd never heard of before. Um, and they utilized, I think it was no cry sleep solution. It's called the sleep lady shuffle, but basically Mm -hmm. it's not a shut the door, let the baby cry, figure it out on their own. Like you're present with them. Um, you stay with them while they're crying. You're reassuring them. You know, you're basically, like you said, letting them know that you're not going to leave them and that you'll always be there. Um, and somehow, again, I don't know how, what your specific, you know, plan was or how you, you worked that to get the sleep. Um, but it was amazing. It worked Mm -hmm. and, I didn't have to shut the door on my baby and never come back. And, um, it changed my life, like literally saved my life. I think because at that point I was just like you were saying, I wasn't going to make it. (laughs) I really was not going to make it. So a hundred percent. I mean, you literally, and there are people that are more resilient maybe than others. And maybe those are the people that are like, you can get through it. I got through it. Like we made it. For some people, it's for me, it was too much. Eight months was literally the point where my physical, I was not going to be able to parent her any, in any um, decent way, in any kind of like present nurturing way, because I was so, I don't want to say sick, but like I was so broken down. There was nothing more to be done. And only like by the grace of whatever did I stumble across aware parenting, which was like, holy moly, like this epiphany and this, I don't know. I mean, I forgot what I was going to say, but I completely, I feel like all the, like attachment parenting is such a hard, it's not a hardcore thing, but I remember myself prior to my baby's birth being like baby wearing, co-sleeping, breastfeeding, unmedicated, like, and you never, ever let your baby cry. Like, 
stick a boob in their mouth and you're good. And you know what? To a point that's true because when they are teeny tiny and they're running on instinct, that is our tool for to babies, to newborns, like physical nourishment and emotional nurturing are completely inseparable. And it all comes together in this amazing, like lactating bolus on the front of our bodies. And it's incredible. It's a beautiful tool. But over time, as we do this dance as like mother and baby, the dyad, we things evolve and things become, this is a strong emotion that does not require a breast. It requires your deep like love and listening to help them move through it. And there are different, the answer is not always and forever the breast. After a point that becomes, you just have to realize that you are empowered as a mother with naturally occurring, amazing other tools and to start exercising those. And I, I think we have some interesting questions that will kind of expand on this, but I feel like hopefully the attachment parents like have not hung up, like stopped the podcast yet and been like, no, screw this, not, not listening because this is totally founded in attachment parenting. Just like, give us a chance. <laughs> Let us get to the meat of it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so and a lot of these questions I'm going to, I'm reading through them and you've hit a lot of it. Um, but what, kind of biggest takeaway that you've had from attachment parenting, maybe something that you utilize daily just to help yourself get through the stress of, of motherhood, because it, it is, can be stressful. Um, what would you, would you say that is? Uh, that it's okay to cry. It's okay to be sad. All, the full spectrum of our human feelings are okay. Um, I, I think that we all are in this culture of like only happy feelings, stop the sad. How can I get back to happy? We're like that all the time. And it's, at least for me, I feel like I've been in this like denialist culture where we want to turn away from all the stressors and fix them and not feel them or get mad at them and tell ourselves that they're wrong. And that's where we go wrong in a lot of ways. And it, there's psychology and science behind this. But for me, it's just the experience of both aware parenting my child and aware parenting myself. Um, there's really taught me that what Brene Brown, again, said in her TED Talk is true. You cannot selectively numb. You can't selectively experience the emotional spectrum of life. And we need to recognize, I think, and this is a challenge for me every day, the beauty that's in the happy and the amazing beauty that's in the sad, the sad and the crying and the hurt and the feeling these feelings are actually the only true way out of them. Like when you allow yourself to have a good cry, like when you're done, it's like nothing could have made you feel better than having that cry and being in those emotions and acknowledging them and having them to the fullest, and then you can move on. But when we suppress those things, when we're uncomfortable with them, we kind of accidentally end up staying in them and, and perpetuating them and making them find like little places to hide inside of our DNA because we're not releasing them. And I think crying is... It is. I mean, scientifically, crying is a way to release stress and trauma. Um, so is exercise. So is hysterical laughter. So is play. And that's kind of back to what I love about aware parenting. It's not just saying there's one way. There's an acknowledgement that there are many ways to release stress, no matter how old you are. Newborns have stress. They just went from the most comfortable damn place they've ever been in their lives through a tunnel <laughs> to this cold, like, noisy, like sharp 
crazy world. And, you know, so they experience stress too. I think there's a huge myth that like babies have nothing to be stressed about. Oh my gosh. If you were just plopped in the middle of a world you didn't understand and were just told to like, okay, learn it. Like, I'll be right here. Learn it. No matter how many boobs you had in your mouth, you would still feel stress. <laughs> you just would. Totally. You'd feel comfort, but you'd still feel like the pain of that adjustment. And so if we're uncomfortable with crying, we just can't expect exercise and laughter to pick up the slack. We have to acknowledge and experience and respect and like shepherd our children and ourselves at the same time through the good and the bad, I think, rather than trying to stop the bad. Can I keep talking? I have one more thing. Yeah. Talk as long as you want. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so I think like a real symbol of that, like we talked about, is how parents feel and are educated by attachment culture, which is different from attachment theory. Attachment culture is kind of like the common translation of the principles of attachment theory, and attachment theory is the science. We're kind of educated by attachment culture to do like a very narrow and specific set of things when our kids cry. When they're teeny tiny, we nurse them, which is wonderful. Like I said, that's important at the beginning. As they get older, sometimes we continue nursing them. Some people resort to cry it out. As they get a lot older, when they're like seven, eight, and nine, it's like, don't cry. You're fine. You're fine. And some people say that in a loving way. They say, oh, don't cry. You're fine. You're okay. You're okay. And we mean that in a compassionate way, but it's these little subtle messages that that we get over time that um, are our bad feelings are ones that we need to skip right out of if we possibly can. Um, and I think what we really need is to communicate with our presence, sometimes with our breasts, sometimes with our arms, sometimes with kind words, sometimes just with that emotional connection that we just have with our children, that like these strong feelings are okay and I will be here to help you move through them. And our presence with our children helps them to regulate their emotions. So, Again, for a long time, I thought my only tool was my breast, and that ended up being really difficult for me over time because of what that evolved into. Um, I didn't have a whole lot of faith in my ability to do much else. Um, but in the end, it's about, for all of us, adults and children and babies, it's okay to cry these strong emotions. We can sit with them. Absolutely. The end. I love it. It's it's beautiful. Again, and something that you said um, in there that resonated with me, I'm currently in therapy. Um, and it, well, it's, it's, it's a group, it's kind of like a group therapy thing. But, um, one of the things is we're not allowed, like if someone is crying or upset or sad, we're not allowed to hug them, um, or, you know, pat them or say, it's going to be okay. Because really what that says, it says a lot about us in that mm-hmm. seeing yes. other people cry is uncomfortable. And, yes. um, you're really saying, stop crying. Like you're not mm-hmm. saying, yeah, you're not saying yes. it's okay. Even though you're you saying might, it with compassion, but are. that's what you're communicating. Yeah, You're communicating. Okay. Stop crying now. Like here's a tissue. Like I will like, help you stop crying. Yeah. I will help you stop crying. And it's, it's like, you want to fix them. You want to help them, but that's a whole nother set of issues. Um, but yeah, it's totally, it's like, allowing people no, to just, it's the same. Yeah. It's the same set of issues. It's the same things that we bring to our relationships with our children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's I'm, I'm uncomfortable with this. I will help you stop. Yeah. I'm uncomfortable. So you must be as well. Yeah. And that's not like inborn. That's, that's like created. And that's, you know, our great grandparents were in the depression and world war two. I mean, life circumstances like creates these patterns in families and a lot of times I think maybe you recognize the same things that you struggle with in your family. Absolutely. 
And oh my gosh, sorry, I interrupted you, but you're, <laughs> no, that you're was, good. You then we can help our kids when they're older to maybe not have those same instinctual, not instinctual, but like um, immediate response to other people's uh, being upset. And then yes. and where you can actually have like maybe true compassion is letting them express all those things and just being there and listening, which okay. I'm, you know, and then also I had a thought earlier about babies, newborns being stressed and it's that stress that they come out with that helps you to bond with them. I'd imagine because without yeah. feeling that sense of stress and like, they're not sure what's going on and there's, if there's a little bit of fear, whatever it is, then they know that they need their parent and their mom and to, and so then it helps to create that initial bond that then will continue to last from there, which I think is pretty powerful. Really, really interesting. Yeah. A lot of good can come from the, the quote unquote, like negative feelings or the, the fear or the stress that those allow for the good to come. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. I literally couldn't love that more. <laughs> no, I was just listening to a podcast today where we talked about, uh, we, they, the people in the podcast, I'm but not on every like podcast. Right there with them. Oh though. my gosh. <laughs> they were talking about how exercise is a stressor and polyphenols are stressors to our body, but all of those things create adaptations that makes us more whole and more capable and more healthy. And that's such an amazing point you just made. Like I'm, I'm completely, I'm, I'm going to remember that. That was so, so that was deep, man. <laughs> there you go, all those postpartum hormones. I know, man. <laughs> I'm so impressed. I was like, You're like wise mama over there. Like <laughs> she's got her placenta in a basket next to her, like emanating power. Yeah. What's that called? The Lotus birth where you yes. just let it fall off naturally. No, yep. we didn't do that, but I did get to deliver my placenta <laughs> attached uh, to it, which I thought was pretty cool in a hospital too. Amazing. That's amazing. Um, anyways, no Lotus birth for us. I don't want to carry around a placenta. <laughs> that's that's just, that's I think it's beautiful, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. I love this so much right now. Um, okay. I, I will try and keep us on track, even though I really don't want to. Um, so I, this kind of question came up in some, some listener questions as well, but so you're getting into like the twos with your daughter and this is clearly a time. And from my own experience, we're at four with my son, um, you know, testing boundaries there, there is certain instances where you have got to be able to communicate something is not okay quickly. Sit, you know, in terms of safety, like don't cross the road, like mm-hmm. hold my hand. You have to listen to me right this second. Um, you know, without having to like stop down and explain everything in that moment. So that's just one example, but you know, a lot of people might look at attachment or aware parenting and say, you know, without formalized consequences or quote unquote discipline, the way a Mm -hmm. lot of people see it, um, you know, how would you describe, I guess, discipline I'm making air quotes right now, um, with aware parenting. So how do you kind of address that now in the, in the moments that you're at with a two-year-old? Yeah, that's kind of the new territory for me right now. And I, I can only speak from my own experience and I totally honor the fact that like every single one of us has a completely reasonable, like we could all say, you just don't get it because you don't have my child. So I completely honor that about everybody. I'm going to, I'm going to say what I have to say and it's not going to be true for everyone. It's something we're still working on, but it's generally been true for us, but maybe you check in with me 20 years down the road and I have like, maybe my kid is in jail and everything is falling apart. I don't know. But at this point it seems to be working and working is like a loose term. Like you have to give some credence to the fact that there are developmentally appropriate behaviors that suck and that you don't want to deal with and that make trips to target very inconvenient. So 
I completely honor that. But I think that with aware parenting, the idea is I think you have to truly believe, as I do, that children are not inherently bad. Um, they don't want to misbehave. Um, that when they do, it's probably either completely developmentally appropriate, it's testing. And a lot of times I think just wrapping your head around that as a parent, where you're not like, my kid needs to not do this. This is some kind of personal failure. I have to fix them. I don't know how. Um, so this is going to become a huge issue for us. Sometimes when you just, it's the same thing as how my my consciousness shifted around what crying was, where I kind of realized that crying is a way to release and um, diffuse stress rather than being a stressor in and of itself. Um, you also kind of have to shift your consciousness around what like testing and misbehavior means in some ways. Like if a kid takes a crayon and writes on the wall, like that's actually totally developmentally like expected. And it's one of those things that you hope you can head off at the pass before it happens. But punishing that behavior is likely counterproductive. And when I say punishment, I mean like timeouts or spanking or a lecture or whatever you want to call it. It just... It does not interact with their neurobiology in a way that generates the result that you want. And that's just the sad truth. Like, I mean, the exception is like the only thing that could stop like developmentally appropriate yet undesirable behavior is, is instilling fear because really the only thing more powerful than developmentally appropriate urges is the fear of pain or punishment. And that doesn't really foster true good behavior. Like we know we know the science says it really just fosters the fear of being caught and having pain or shame inflicted is kind of the the tool for doing that. Um, but aside from the developmentally appropriate stuff, which we just kind of have to have compassion for and, and patience and create an environment that is going to foster your child's success rather than, you know, like plunking them down in a room full of knives and expecting them not to touch one. Um, so children being inherently good and, you know, if something's happening that we want to correct, the way to do so, in my opinion, and what's worked for us is to always prioritize connection. You can punish later if that's like something that you insist upon like a certain way, but connect first. Like, hey, what's going on? Do you need a hug? Did you have a hard day? It's okay to cry. I'm here to help you not do these things that are harming yourself or others or destroying property. Sometimes that means making them a little hug cage, like not restraining them, but just saying, I'm going to keep you close to me right now. I'm going to keep you close to me. And sometimes that leads to a huge explosion, a huge tantrum. And you can think of that as a good thing because you have like become the conduit for those emotions that are causing these behaviors that are causing, you know, kids will headbang or bite or hit or kick all of those different things that were like, what is my kid doing? They often do those things when they have these like internal struggles that they can't release. And, um, so when you prioritize connection and kind of become a conduit for the explosion, then that energy gets out and you have like basically hit the reset button. So that's pretty much how we look at it. And again, doesn't apply to everyone, but I've found it incredibly powerful along with a tool called attachment play um, that I don't really understand really well now. It's only now becoming relevant to us, but it's another aware parenting book is called attachment play. So. Ooh, I'm definitely going to read that. Yeah. I, I honestly, I just in the the vein that you were going down, um, our four-year-old. So he started school, school, quote unquote, um, mm -hmm. when he was three. 
And he's always been very highly emotional, um, very vocal, super smart kid. Mm-hmm. And so we would see all of these tantrums, I guess, um, big, big emotions at school though. His teacher was like, he is amazing. He's wonderful. He's so smart. He's so well behaved. And then he would come home literally every day and just melt down. And we were like, what is going on? And honestly, his teacher was amazing, but she paid us like the biggest compliment that I've ever had. I feel like as a mother, cause she said, you know, a lot of times they won't express themselves like that at school because they're not in a place where they feel safe to do so. And that the fact that he feels safe with you and he trusts you to like, he can behave this way and express his emotions, whether that's through like freaking out or whatever. Um, he can do that at home with you is a huge thing. Like he trusts you. He, he feels safe with you. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like mind blown. Yeah. Here I am thinking, we're doing something wrong. Like he's behaving well at school, but not with us. And, you know, I don't know. It just really made me, it was like an aha moment. You know what I mean? Yes. I love it. So true. Like, I feel like our job is just to give our children a safe space for the full spectrum of their emotions. And I kind of wish that I could tantrum and scream and cry sometimes. I I think that would help. (laughs) I really do. So seeing that as like a beautiful release is probably the most calming thing a parent can do, I would think. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, it's funny because we're both like still in this phase where I, I'm unwitting, unwittingly doing a lot of the things that you're talking about, not knowing that that's aware parenting, but we still, we're doing this in the hopes that it all works out <laughs> for good. Yeah. Whereas like my mom and my dad would be like, you need to, you know, do what we did oh, yeah. and put them, you know, in the room. And, and their excuse is always like, and you turned out fine. And I'm like, well, am I? (laughs) I I know. Oh, I know. I'm like, I can't cry. I'm afraid (laughs) of my feelings. I think I'm bad. Like, yeah. (laughs) Even the most wonderful, amazing, compassionate parents, and I have wonderful, amazing, Mm -hmm. compassionate parents, like, we're all just doing the best we can. And when you know differently, and maybe when you know better, you do better. My mom keeps telling me that she's learning a ton about parenting from me, and that's pretty cool. That's amazing. Yeah. That's such a, yeah, absolutely. It's a huge compliment. And again, like, just like you said, everyone at the time for various reasons, social reasons, you know, economical reasons, like mindset is a certain way. And again, they're just doing the best they could with what they knew. And hopefully we continue to do that. And hopefully we'll report back in like 20 years with functioning adult children. Nobel (laughs) Peace Prize winnings. Yeah. Stay tuned for next week's episode when we will have Liz back on for part two. This time we'll address reader questions all about sleep, self-care, and mentality. You can find Liz at realfoodliz.com and at realfoodliz on Instagram where she is most active. And as always, you can connect with Laura at myradicalroots.com and at laura.radicalroots on Instagram. And me, Jess, at holdthespacewellness.com and at jess.holdthespace on Instagram. We love to hear your feedback. So please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. It means the world to us. Stay tuned for more information on our current awesome giveaway. So we are so excited to announce the first ever Modern Mamas giveaway. We've teamed up with some of our all-time favorite companies to bring you a chance at some killer prizes. And the best part is that entering is a breeze. With a couple simple steps, you can win prizes from not one, not two, but three different brands. We'll be giving away a full month's supply of Paleo Valley's Organ Complex, 
a box of epic bison bacon cranberry bars and a box of epic salmon strips and a week's worth of chameleon cold brew. The organ complex was huge for me for fertility, preconception, and it's played a large part in my postpartum recovery. The epic snacks are perfect for a mom or anyone really, on the go or busy with a newborn. And I'm speaking from experience here. And who doesn't love chameleon cold brew? It's the best on the market. All you have to do to enter between now and August 9th is subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave a review. Then email or message us with your reviewer username. It's as simple as that. We'll choose the winner at random on August 9th. Best of luck.